Welcome to the 1110 Leadership Podcast, where we tackle issues at the intersection of leadership, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Rob Shields, Vice President of Strategy at 1110 Leadership, and I'm joined by my co-host, founder and CEO of 1110 Leadership, David Spicker. Proverbs 1110 lays out a bold and countercultural vision. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. We're here to ask, what does it look like practically to be this type of leader? Leaders willing to invest everything they have so that everyone around them can thrive. Join us on the journey as we lean in, listen, and learn how to become Proverbs 1110 kind of leaders. The kind of leaders that make our cities rejoice. David. Hey, Rob. How are you doing, friend? I'm doing great. Glad to be back. Welcome back to your podcast. <laughs> it's your podcast, Do you need too. an invitation <laughs> to our podcast? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's our it's podcast. A, shared ownership of this thing. But we, if you're going to pick a face, I choose your face for the podcast. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're welcome. I'm excited to kick off this new series. We kind of teased it out in our last episode, but for our audience who have been dying over the break when they haven't had our voices in their earbuds. Excited to be back because we've got some exciting topics to cover here. Absolutely. Yeah. Thankful for the opportunity to dive in coming off of our Thrive series that we did. It's a natural next step to think through what does it mean to be a just leader and the idea that being just is really a way that we thrive and help the people around us thrive and ultimately our communities thrive, which what, which is what we teed up from our last episode. So looking forward to hitting this head on. Yeah, I, I think that's really exciting and important to disclaimer on the front end that this is this is not a new direction. This isn't an exit ramp off of the thriving path. We're still on the same highway. Thriving and justice are two sides of the same coin. We talked about the triple Venn diagram. I mean, we've got these really robust metaphors that we, we have in our tool belt here. But I'm excited to unpack this idea of the just leader because you've written an entire book about it. We talked about that last time. And now we're going to kind of use this series to almost light the way and, and frame out the book a little bit where it's going to be intentionally, you know, hopefully by the end of each episode, our goal is maybe to leave our audience wanting more on purpose because they could get a whole lot more if they pick up a copy of your book and really sit with it. And it's a medium that's a lot more conducive to doing these concepts justice. And I, I mean the pun there. Mm-hmm. But I think that for this first episode, really important to lay the foundation for this entire series by camping out on the word itself around justice, right? I love this framing quote from Tim Keller from the book Generous Justice, who we quote a lot in our work with our just leadership groups. But he said in that book that Christians know little about biblical justice, despite its prominence in the scriptures. This ignorance is having two effects. First, large swaths of the church still do not see doing justice as part of their calling as individual believers. Second, many younger Christians, recognizing the failure of the church and wanting to rectify things, are taking up one or another of the secular approaches to justice, which introduces distortions into their practice and lives. I think that's really helpful to have in the background of this conversation because, you know, we this isn't a, a two-way street with our listeners, but if we could do like a word association game, if we had a chat going with everyone who was listening to our podcast and we threw out the word, what words come to mind when you hear the word justice? 
it would be fascinating to see the diversity of responses, especially in today's age, because it's such an incredibly charged word. It's been such a politicized term. It means vastly different things to different people. And you named your book with this word right in the middle, right? You, you didn't steer away from it. You're meeting this head on. So, David, what do you mean when you say justice? How do you define it? What does it mean to be just? And is there even a single definition? Well, we certainly define it by the way God defines it. And you're right. Justice is a really charged word now. I think there's something about saying the just leader versus using the full word justice that makes people lean in a little bit more than using the full word justice. But a lot of what we're talking about is redeeming the word justice, particularly because this is so much at the heart of who God is. The Hebrew word for justice that's used in the Bible over and over again is a Hebrew word, mishpat. That means everything is as it's supposed to be. It's very familiar in that we understand it to be a rectifying justice, which means when somebody does something wrong, they're punished for that wrongdoing. And it's very much aligned with legal justice that we are familiar with in our world. But it's also restorative. It has an element to it where This is not just about punishing people, but it's about uplifting people, and particularly those who are most marginalized in communities, those who are orphans, poor, widows, and foreigners, the quartet of the vulnerable that Scripture talks about. Mishpat is often associated with those groups because it's about making everything as they're supposed to be. And so, therefore, it's about lifting up those who have been overlooked or oppressed in a society. So justice has both of those sides, both retributive, which is punishment, but also restorative, which is lifting people up. And it's worthy to note that which one of those do you think is most used in Scripture? We might think it's the retributive one, but it's the restorative one, that justice is usually tied to lifting others up. So that's important for us to know. And then there's another word, a Hebrew word that goes along with justice, and it's sadakah. It's hard to spell, but it's fun to say. Uh, And it means righteousness or primary justice. In other words, this is proactive justice. And this is the idea that everything is in right relationship with one another. We have a right relationship with God, we have a right relationship with others, ourselves and creation. And when that righteousness, it's not just about pure living, it's about things being in right relationship with one another. And when that happens, when that is practiced perfectly, then there would be no need for mishpat because nothing would be broken that had to be restored. And so in scripture, you see these two words that play off each other, that give this full representation of justice in the Bible. Uh, when you see justice and righteousness in the Bible, that's Mishpat and Sadakah. And there's scriptures all throughout the Bible that talk about how God feels about Mishpat and Sadakah. It's the foundation of his throne. Um, it's what he loves. It could not be more central to who God is and what he's about. So that's how we're defining justice. God is the one who defines justice, not our society, 
not others, but he's the one who defines it. And therefore, that's what we're talking about when we talk about what it means to be just. Hmm. Yeah, that's so important as we start this series to dive into what these terms mean and how they're defined in Scripture for people of faith, of the Christian faith listening in. That's our compass in all this. And, and there's a lot of nuance to a lot of things about Scripture, but this one, when it comes to God's heart for it, pretty hard to argue against. You've got to do a lot of work to omit it, and yet somehow, like the Keller quote from Generous Justice about a large swaths of the church not feeling like doing justice is a part of their calling, well, that I guess, David, my follow-up question is, what, what implications does that have for the workplace when Christians don't feel like doing justice really matters to them and their faith? How does that trickle into the way they approach their work? Because you're presenting something that maybe is giving them second thought, saying, hey, I, I don't think about this much in my work, or I don't really see how that my faith compels me to think about these things. You know, I might feel society demanding that I think about it, but I don't feel compelled by my faith convictions. Well, it becomes, if we understand this deeply, then it becomes the purpose of our work. Mm. You know, it's, it's the ultimate outcome. It's why we even work. Uh, it's to create foretastes of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, to be about um, creating shalom or this sense of wholeness <clears throat> and peace and then justice or mishpat, everything is as it's supposed to be. So the very, very purpose of our work is centered on God's heart for justice. It's not optional. This is not something that is just for people who are gifted in these areas or have particular bent or hearts for the poor. Or in a church setting, this isn't just for the deacons. This is for everyone. It's a mark of a believer. We found even that there's six qualities that really stand out from Scripture to build off of Mishpat and Sadiqah that demonstrate how central this is to who God is and therefore should be central to who we are and therefore should be central to what our work is all about. The first is that justice is a part of who God is. It's in his DNA. It's not just what he does. It's who he is. Isaiah thirty eighteen says, For the Lord is a God of justice. It's as if he's naming himself that I'm a God of justice. Second, it's what he loves. Isaiah 61, 8 says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. That couldn't be mm-hmm. more clear. I need to hear Lord, that one in the Greek, you know? Yeah. I, the Lord, love justice. Number three, justice is what Jesus came to do. In Luke 4, we see Jesus in the temple, and he's opening up a scroll, and he quotes Isaiah Isaiah 61, the I love justice passage that I just spoke. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, he is showing how he is the manifestation of God's prophecy of him being the one who's come to provide justice and justification for those of us who put our faith in him. But he's also to come 
to bring mishpat and sadaqah to the earth so that we can experience peace and justice on earth as it is in heaven. Number four, justice is what God has commanded his people to do. In Micah 6, 8, it says, What does the Lord require of you but to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? Number five, justice and mercy to those in need are inevitable signs of justifying faith in God. This is really interesting. What makes this central to a believer? We see this in 1 John three seventeen. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? The question of whether we have God's love in us is directly tied to our level of compassion for those who are most marginalized in our community, which is a sobering thought for us as believers. If we ever want to know whether our faith is real, we can look and see how much do we have a heart for those in need. Hmm. And then finally, number six, by spending ourselves for those in need, we experience the fullness of God and have our deepest needs met. And we see this unique principle in Isaiah 58, where uh, the prophet is describing what a true fast is. And the scripture says, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, your light shall rise. Your gloom will be turned into noonday. The Lord will guide you continually. He will satisfy your desires. He will make your bones strong. You will be a well-watered garden. Your ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations. You shall be called repairer of the breach. There's incredible promise. And it's, what's interesting is the, the focus of that passage is not the hungry, but those who pour themselves out for the hungry that our needs will be met, our bones will be strong, our light will be turned into noonday. So there's incredible fullness and promises that are in store for us who are people of justice. And we each have to ask ourselves the question, just like Jesus and, and God says, I'm the Lord, I'm the God of justice. Can we say, hey, I'm David, I'm the man of justice. Hey, I'm Laura. I'm a woman of justice. And that's a title that we can embrace because that's who God has called us to be. Not because we're anything great, Mm. but because he's great. Mm. And he's equipped us to be men and women of justice who serve and have a posture of bringing mishpat and sadaqah to those around us. I love how you say it. In your book, justice people are also whole people. Justice multiplies the fullness of God, not just in others, but in you. And that, that metaphor of the compass, to me, really points out the fact that this is really kind of a third stream. If that Keller quote really set up two main audiences or groups of people that are engaging with us on this journey, or really just society writ large when it comes to the church, the Christian church, this idea of people who don't think doing justice really matters for them, and people who have reacted to that saying, all right, that's wrong, so I'm going to go jump in on what society is currently doing and engaging with this. And both of those missed the mark somewhat. And what you're doing is kind of level setting to this third way that is completely guided by Scripture that's saying, no, this was not, society did not invent this term. This is God's term. 
we're redeeming it and restoring it and really re-educating the church that this has so central to your calling as believers. And there's a roadmap in scripture about God's heart for it and what the gospel does, like Keller says, with his grace makes us just. That's right. <clears throat> and that roadmap, roadmap leads to fullness. It yes. leads to our hearts thriving, coming, coming alive, you know, our lives being vibrant, you know, being about work that has deep meaning and purpose and impact, things that we all long for and desire. And yeah. God, you know, gives us this this roadmap, this pathway. It's usually what is much different than the world offers. It's a die to self leadership hmm. strategy that is centered on others winning, and as a result, we experience God's fullness. Hmm. Yeah, David, you're a great storyteller. You tell a lot of great stories in the book. Is there one in particular that comes to mind to help people who maybe this is an abstract or new term, new concepts for them to help them kind of put some put some meat on the bones a little bit with a real life example? Is there something, one that comes to mind for you in, in your work? All of this for me honestly came through the models that I saw from Pastor Donald McCoy and Chris Mangum, and I tell their story in the beginning of the book. So I don't want to give all the details, but they pursued one another in relationship, African-American pastor, Pastor Donna McCoy and Chris Mangum, and were committed to one another. And as a result of their desire to pursue one another, they realized that each had something the other needed. Chris couldn't find people to work for his company, and Pastor McCoy had people in his church who were struggling with unemployment. And they figured out a way that they could partner with each other to help meet that need. And they found other pastors and business leaders in Raleigh, where we live, to meet the same need. And as a result, the organization that I work for, Jobs for Life, sprouted from their, their just committed pursuit of one another and out of their relationship. And as a result, thousands and thousands of people around the country have received employment and experienced life because of their pursuit and commitment to issues of justice and just being people who understand God's heart for the things that break his heart. And so as I followed their model, a lot of the principles that they demonstrated to me are things that have been able to be lived out to make the scriptures come alive around what it looks like to be a man and woman of justice. Yeah, that's what I love so much about the book is that the, the stories really make these principles come to life and they're what stick with you. We need examples of these things lived out. And I'm excited. I know that we'll continue to bring up stories from our work you know, as we are practitioners in this space. We've seen so many examples and you mentioned only a few of them in the book, but there's so many more. And, and I think the podcast will be an exciting vehicle to share some of these stories. All right, so we've teed up the series for The Just Leader. Land the plane for us. Tell us, what is the bottom line when it comes to setting a foundation for justice? And maybe also chart the course a little bit for what listeners can expect for the remainder of the episodes of this series. Yeah, so for the bottom line, I think as we redeem this word justice, it's important to understand that we don't approach this topic or this conversation with guilt and shame. 
which is what a lot of people who, who are like me come to this conversation with. It's really easy to think that we have not done enough or we are the problem or people have blamed us for things. And so we just don't want any part of this. And guilt and shame has never been a good motivator. But instead, when we understand God's heart for justice and his identity with justice, again, that's really important to understand this is about who God is and therefore should be a part of who we are then we can approach this topic and this conversation with creativity and imagination and vision. Hmm. And that's what we hope to do, to inspire you to a whole new level of thinking and having a vision for what your leadership can look like wherever you are, whether it's in your work, in your home, in your community, so that this can bring you the opportunities to engage people in profound ways and have you experience that fullness. And to do that, we're going to unpack the four qualities of a just leader, which is what I describe in the book. And so in this series, we're going to give a high-level picture of those four qualities. Quality number one is just leaders see the whole playing field. Second, they build cultural competency. Third, they give power away. And fourth, they take bold and courageous action. And by going through those qualities, our hope is that we not only give you the framework, the principles, the motivation to consider what it means to be just, but we also give you a pathway and some tools and some ideas and some practical ways in which you can live this out. So this can be very tangible to the leadership situation that you are in. I can't wait. Buckle up. It's going to be a fun ride. Absolutely. Thank you, Rob. All right, David. Till next time. To learn more about 1110 Leadership, visit our website at 1110leadership.com. That's the numerals 11, then spelled out T-E-N leadership.com. That's 11-T-E-N leadership.com. There, you'll find more resources to equip you on the journey of becoming an 1110 leader. You can also get connected to our growing leadership network. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. To help others find us, you can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.